Sustainability, the Potsdam Dialogues, science for a safe tomorrow. One third of all greenhouse gas emissions are related to, to food and agriculture. The majority of people just think that climate change is this uh, very hypothetical thing which will happen in 200, 300 years. Uh, and many people don't, don't make this connection that the choice, what they eat and how the food is produced um, has all these impacts. I feel that as chefs, we have the power to bust the myth that, that healthy or sustainable food is not delicious. Seriously? It's December. Festive season is in full swing in many countries. And we are talking about sustainable food? Yes, we do. I know that right now for lots of people, it's all about buying, cooking, eating yummy foods, traditional meals, sharing them with friends and family. And that's great, but that's just the one side. On the other side, the food we buy and eat plays an important role in climate change. Especially meat and dairy consumption have been increasing for years in many parts of the world, making greenhouse gas emissions from food sector and agriculture rise further. I'm so glad I have Chef Mega Kohli and agricultural economist Hermann Lutzekampen joining in the Potsdam Dialogues of the Sustainability Podcast today. They both tackle the challenges of our current food system, just with different means and from different perspectives, I would say. Mega Kohli joins our podcast from New Delhi in India. She's one of the country's youngest prominent chefs, was the Times Chef of the Year in 2020 and has already 14 years of cooking experience. She's all about promoting the traditional Indian cuisine and supports responsible eating at the same time. In her work as a chef, Mega was actually the first in the city who used 100% local products. And that is also her philosophy, so to say. Use local and regional Indian food, eat seasonal and be sustainable. Welcome, Mega. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here today. Hermann Lotzekampen is an agricultural economist, but also a real farmer boy. He grew up on a farm in northern Germany, is a fully qualified farmer and knows about the challenges of modern agriculture and food production. At the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research, Hermann leads the research department Climate Resilience. He looks at global scenarios on how the agriculture and food sector may develop in the future, how agriculture can adapt to climate change and how greenhouse gas emissions from food production can be reduced. He is also professor at the Humboldt University in Berlin. Welcome, Hermann. Yes, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. So, let's dive right into festive season, I would say. Diwali, a major festival in India, is just over. Christmas is around the corner. And Mega, do you as a chef think about sustainability when you cook in these days, when you plan dishes, when you buy ingredients? Yes, even in such festivals, I try to use as much of local and seasonal produce that I can use. Uh, being from India, the most, uh, the most amazing thing about this culture is that uh, our traditional recipes that we are supposed to cook in festivals or on special occasions are since centuries, they have been local and seasonal recipes that also celebrate the produce of that season. So um, during Diwali, uh, since the, it's the onset of winter, you will have desserts that are made with gourd. Gur is a, a local um, and regional form of jaggery. Uh, so uh, there are different, different kinds of gur across the country and they help to clear out any chest congestion and they help you uh, to, to keep warm in the cold winter months. Then uh, there are a lot of seasonal greens that we celebrate during this season. And ironically, uh, in our festival, 
festivals we are most of the time we are uh, praying to some god which is why most of the meals are also plant based and herman you look at food and food production from a more scientific perspective what's on your christmas plate this year do you mind sharing some insight yes of course uh, in our research we focus a lot on the question how food production and food demand can be more compatible with uh, with the climate goals and and other uh, environmental objectives um, so this mainly means to uh, eat as much fruits and vegetables uh, as we can uh, and uh, avoid a lot of meat so this is uh, quite in contrast i would say to the to the traditional uh, german or european um, Christmas dishes because uh, traditionally uh, you would have um, a goose, for example, or uh, other types of, of meat. We and my family, we for some years had um, a cheese-based Christmas menu, so like cheese fondue. Um, but um, so thinking about the Christmas season, it's, I guess, not so easy to, to come up with um, a traditional dish, which, which is um, really uh, focusing on low emissions or, or low uh, environmental uh, impact. But uh, I think there's some creativity needed here. I just wanted to add that uh, on uh, last Christmas for my family, we did a whole roasted cauliflower with marinated with Christmas spices like cinnamon, clove, nutmeg. And uh, we also did um, sweet potatoes. So we did a uh, roasted sweet potato. So as an alternative to the traditional roast chicken that people usually eat or roast meats, we had done whole roasted vegetables and we had served them uh, very, very in a very grand manner with a lot of um, nuts and um, different kind of sauces that you could then flavor the vegetables with. Mm, that sounds so yummy. I'm already getting hungry here. So where's the problem then? What are the challenges of our current food system, Hermann? Yeah, you know, first of all, about a third of all global greenhouse gas emissions uh, are caused by by food and agriculture. This includes um, uh, tropical deforestation for expanding uh, agricultural land. This includes uh, methane and, and nitrous oxide emissions from crop production and and uh, livestock uh, raising, and it includes uh, other. Um, emissions within the food system. And agriculture is also one cause of, of biodiversity loss and, and destruction of natural habitats. Uh, and many people don't, don't make this connection that the choice, what they eat and how the food is produced um, has all these impacts. Yes, the majority of people do not, uh, they just think that climate change is this uh, very hypothetical thing which will happen in uh, around 200, 300 years. What I try to sell to people is that this ingredient or this method of cooking uh, is good for your personal health. So I try to first tell them that, listen, it's good for you. It's good for issues like blood pressure, cholesterol, um, heart problems, bone density. This is what this will help you with. Um, and then I, I slyly, I pitch in the whole climate change theory. And that has really helped because I feel that people really care about their own uh, personal health more than the health of the planet. It's sad, but I feel that that's, that's what's true in, in the majority of uh, people's thinking. So... What can we do now? Can we reverse climate change by green eating or at least mitigate some of it? And if so, 
And this question would then go to Mega. How do you cook sustainable and maybe even influence people towards living a more sustainable lifestyle? Um, so, of course, people think about their own mobility behavior, uh, how they travel and so on. But um, at least the, the second most important question is what they eat. And so we have to eat every day. And, and so everyone uh, every day can um, think about what they eat and, and change their, their their buying behavior and their, their cooking behavior. So um, it is to realize that uh, that the climate um, the global warming goals, which have been agreed upon uh, in at the Paris Agreement in 2015, um, can only be reached uh, if, all, if also the, the food system is changing and is transforming towards uh, a low emission future. Um, so as Haman uh, said, I think that uh, people don't really realize the impact that even a small, a very, very small change in their daily diets can make. So what I try to focus on is simple substitution. So uh, I feel that that's a good way to get people started towards a more sustainable lifestyle. So uh, I, I try to use um, uh, millets instead of rice. I try to use uh, some other ancient grains like bajra uh, instead of, uh, of wheat. So if, if people in India have a lot of bread, which is called roti, and they make it with wheat, I try to uh, introduce uh, bajra roti or, or an undiscovered grain roti. Or I try to use uh, uh, this undiscovered... Um, or unexplored black rice uh, from from tribal parts of of my country because i feel that uh, that there is too much dependency on just four four uh, crops in this world whether it's potato maize uh, rice so i feel that if 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 uh, people can experiment or at least uh, end up tasting something different that they end up finding delicious in my restaurant and then at the end of the meal i tell them did you know what did you like this and th these are the benefits to your health. And secondly, this is how these ingredients will also benefit the planet. And you don't need to change anything in your meal. You can just start by swapping this one uh, very, very common ingredient with this lesser, uh, lesser known ingredient. So I feel that uh, people are not aware of their own of the own biodiversity of their respective countries. And uh, as as a chef, I feel that it's my duty to kind of uh, show them the beautiful the beautiful world of biodiversity that that, that our, our world has to offer. This is really the interesting part of our uh, conversation here, how to link like the, the, the broader knowledge created uh, by the scientific community or about the linkages of, of food and agriculture uh, to, to climate change, to biodiversity, um, to inequality uh, also. And then on your end, uh, aspects of, of good taste, uh, personal health, uh, but also also fun, right? I mean, you have to make food interesting for people to come to your restaurant. Yes, people need to know uh, where their ingredient is coming from. So um, I had done a dinner in Rome with the chef's manifesto at FAO where the dinner was based on sustainable seafood. And I realized that as a chef, I myself am not aware uh, of which, uh, which, uh, which season is, is suitable for... Uh, for uh, consuming which which seafood, and uh, then I ended up uh, talking to different seafood suppliers, and I ended up getting a full list of which which fish is in season, where it comes from, which which seafood is in season, and uh, when is it good to consume this seafood, when is it not good to consume this seafood, and I ended up sharing all that information on my menu as well as on my social media. 
So I feel that if people end up knowing the provenance of their ingredients, even uh, that will greatly help so that uh, certain um, certain species are not overfished and are um, don't end up getting extinct or there's not too much pressure on a certain particular uh, species to be available to everybody. And Mega, in India, many people already have quite a vegetarian focus, but also rather seem traditional when it comes to food. Is it difficult for you to convince people to try out new stuff? When I opened my restaurant, it was one of the first restaurants to have a 100% local uh, menu. And uh, I had people walking out of the restaurant and they would see the menu and they would ask me, where is your cheese from? Is it from France? Is it from Spain? And I would say, no, it's from uh, West Bengal, so it's from the hills, uh, from the Himalayas, and people would just be like, uh, uh, "Why, why? I, I, I don't think this will taste great. I don't think it will be good for my health. I don't think it's hygienic." Or if they would ask me, "Where is your meat from? Where is your lamb rack from? Or where do you source your pork from?" And if I wouldn't name a, a, a country that that uh, that uh, from, like you know, like Spain or the US, they would just say that, "No, no, we don't trust local Indian meat," and they would just they would just get up and walk out. But uh, slowly, because of the whole trend changing and how people started looking inwards a lot, I saw so many other chefs who started doing the same thing that the same people then ended up coming back for the same dishes that they started coming back for my indigenous Indian cheese platter. They started coming back for for the local meats. But yes, it, it was very, very tough initially to convince people to to eat local. Right. So it seems to have a lot to do with enabling people, raising awareness. Is this what you do in the Chef's Manifesto campaign, Mega, that you mentioned earlier? So the Chef's Manifesto is a global network of chefs. I think now we have more than 700 chefs uh, in our network. And uh, we are working towards SDG2, which is uh, Zero Hunger. And uh, there's all of our chefs uh, together come together and uh, we... We create awareness, we share recipes, and we basically talk about uh, food that is good for the planet and good for you. We recently uh, did a, a campaign on fortified rice, uh, where we talk about how fortified rice is something that can be used to eradicate mal malnutrition. So it's it's been I've been part of this network since 2018, and I myself have learned so much about different cultures, and um, you know, like um, I I. Inter Sitting in India, I've been able to interact with a chef in Peru who's told me uh, different varieties of potatoes that can be grown in India and how I can use those potatoes. Or I've been able to talk to someone in London who, who has uh, told me about the certain traditional British ways that they use to preserve their food. I, sitting in India, have been uh, able to sh uh, share recipes of how to how to cook and consume certain ancient Indian grains, how to do pickling, preserving so I feel that is uh, the the this whole social media and the internet has kind of shrunk the world. And if we try, we can really come together to use it for our for our uh, advantage. I think this is really uh, interesting to hear, and that you also stress the the the, the potential of um, communication and and social media networks around the globe because. Uh, uh, things which you traditionally have been discussed, you know, locally and, and, and nationally can now much easier and much faster be, be stress, uh, spread around and experiences from different countries, different cultures can be can be linked. And I think this is really thrilling um, because it also provides uh, new opportunities for 
um, for spreading out the knowledge and and uh, yeah also of course knowledge including scientific results uh, about uh, the linkages between people's behavior people's uh, dietary habits uh, and and the global environmental problems so so here i see a huge potential for a for an alliance uh, to to bring the knowledge really to the people's plates um, to cre create a new momentum here that that people really make this connection uh, between what they how they behave every day what the impacts of this are and how, how it also can help to move towards a more sustainable future actually 100 and also i feel that as chefs we have the power to bust the myths that that healthy or sustainable food is not delicious i think that is something that people if they see the word sustainable on the menu if they see the word good for the planet or healthy on the menu they will never order it they will just think that oh this is going to be really bland and it's not going to be nice and delicious at all and i think as chefs we uh, or most of the chefs now that i see are really working hard to 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 bust the myth that people have great so i'm um, talking about busting myths and more sustainable eating could the two of you give me some insight into the eat lancet diet um what is it about and what is it not about Well, yeah, the Eat Lancet Commission uh, was set up. It, it was a scientific commission uh, to to find out how um, people can um, feed themselves in a healthy way, um, and and how can this be arranged so that at the same time um, it's also made environmentally friendly. And um, I think the, the 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 first priority is really here on the. Uh, on the rich countries around the world, uh, many of the Western countries, where uh, over the last decades, uh, due to rising uh, income levels, uh, the share of, of meat, especially, but also dairy products, so all overall animal-based products, the share has, has strongly increased because it just became affordable for, for wealthier people. But this has also the strongest uh, impact on, uh, on greenhouse gas emissions and, and uh, biodiversity, as we said. Um, so, um, first of all, it's good for people's health if they um, eat a, a large share of fruits and vegetables and, and nuts and uh, similar issues. Um, so that's the core idea of the, of the Eat Lancet Planetary Health uh, Diet. And this is healthier for people, but it's also healthier for the planet, as you could say. You know, there's this line in the Eat Lancet report that, that says that this is not a question of um, for all or nothing, but uh, rather small changes for a large and positive impact, which is exactly my philosophy as a chef. So uh, when I saw the Eat Lancet, uh, the, the diet and the percentages of what has, of what should be consumed in how much proportion to to kind of be classified as a planetary health, healthy diet, I was very, very surprised because that is it is exactly what the traditional Indian diet is. The, the proportions are extremely uh, similar to the Eat Lancet diet. And um, I feel that when people hear the Eat Lancet diet or the Eat Lancet report, they just feel that, okay, when they, when they see the word planetary health, people assume that it's going to be a plant-based diet. It's not. It's a plant-forward diet, where uh, which means that the that the proportion or the percentage of plant-forward items in that diet are more as compared to meat and dairy. But meat and dairy do exist in the diet as well. And uh, for for most homes in India, um, having meat is still a treat because meat is very expensive. And so since the time we were children, it was always made on a special occasion that, oh, it's your birthday, we'll, uh, mom will make your favorite chicken curry or your favorite mutton curry or, oh, it's Sunday, every Sunday we'll end up having 
uh, a particular meat dish but no house um, or most houses in india still don't consume meat every day it's still made maybe once every three days or once a week so so yeah so i feel that india is has still hasn't moved so far away from sustainability i feel that we just need to take a few steps back to 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 be fully sustainable again Yeah thanks mega I, i think you made uh, very important points uh, uh, one thing is that uh, it's not you know the the eat lancet diet is not meant to be uh, exclusive right it's not about zero meat or zero dairy products it's about the right proportions and and putting things into balance uh, uh, again and what you described uh, for india i think many countries in in other parts of the world uh, you know including uh, the, the rich countries in europe for example have long traditions uh, in, in similar directions i mean people traditionally uh, ate um, a lot of grains of various types um, a lot of different kinds of cabbages uh, and so on which could be which could be preserved um, which could be made into into diverse um, dishes but it's just that over the last 50 60 years um people have s- become so accustomed to to having um meat based or animal based dishes almost every day because as i said they can they can simply afford it um that this completely grew out of out of proportion uh, right and so i think uh, one of the the interesting challenges is to to make people aware that some of the of the traditional ways uh, to feed themselves and uh, to eat um are are not kind of backward looking they are really forward looking and and can be picked up again uh, uh yeah to contribute uh, well to the solution of some of the of the pressing problems we have pressing problem herman you name it one other aspect i would actually be interested in is how can healthy food be made affordable for poor people I know we are talking a lot about sustainability today, healthy food, tasty food, but in great parts of the world, malnutrition does still exist. And maybe to give it even another spin, how can fair working conditions be achieved along the food value chain? Herman, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think I think this remains a huge challenge because, um, um, I mean, regardless whether you talk about meat or dairy products or fruits and vegetables, um in all of these value chains around the world there are some problems with you know low paid workers or uh, people not getting their fair share uh, from uh, from the uh, out of the revenues so i think this remains a challenge regardless and 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 part of the problem is of course um um low income but we have to to realize that a large part three quarters of the of the food insecure population in the world uh, those people are actually um, small scale farmers so it's it's very much about creating opportunities for small scale farmers to uh, to produce something which they can sell uh, in the market um, which they can also produce with um, uh, few external inputs so so mainly the the land they live on uh, and and their own um, Uh, work time uh, and so i think um, we have to to provide knowledge uh, and to provide the infrastructure um, transportation uh, information uh, to to enable those small scale farmers to produce uh, things which which are um, which can brought to the to the urban centers to the markets so that they can make a living from this and i think here is the link to 
to a more um, diverse uh, food culture, where where also small scale farmers can uh, can participate in these in these value chains. But it's it is a huge challenge actually. I completely agree with what Herman said, and I feel that. Uh, Again, over here, biodiversity is something that that comes into play. I'll speak for India. Like we are seventy percent of farming, a country of farmers. We are a farming country, and yet uh, the people who 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 commit suicide out of hunger or out of uh, not having access to food are mostly the farmers uh, in in this country. And uh, I feel that once uh, people become more receptive to exploring new grains that can grow in uh, in difficult climates in arid soil conditions uh, then um, even if there is a drought or if even if there is not enough water the farmers will have alternate uh, alternate food or alternate uh, crops to grow but right now the demand is only for those three four crops that that if the farmers are unable to grow that they have nothing to sell because there is no demand for 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 that for, for those indigenous grains in the market so i feel that uh, if if people start consuming a more more uh, a, a more vast variety of of produce it will end up uh, also um, enabling people to especially small scale farmers etc to fend for themselves and uh, to find an alternative way of uh, of of earning a livelihood and um, as far as malnutrition is concerned i also feel there needs to be uh, there needs to be more knowledge about hidden hunger so hidden hunger is where uh, people lack key micronutrients particularly iron zinc vitamin a and iodine and there needs to be more uh, more more talk and more awareness to be spread about the food items that give you these um, these these uh, nutrients because i don't think that there is that much awareness so even though you feel that you're having a a decent meal uh, Uh, a poor person may feel that he's having a decent meal but at the same time he is not getting these key micronutrients which then contributes to hidden hunger which is a huge huge percentage of what malnutrition is wow that is super sad and calls for action in a way so on a final note how can we make sure that people at least then value the food they eat and that they understand that their food choices matter and are linked to health and environment mega you want to go first uh, i think there's the statement that i that i tell my guests very often and that is that every meal uh, is 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 a vote so with every meal you're casting a vote and that vote is either for the for the betterment of the planet or it's for it's for uh, the the worse for the planet so you you are making a choice with every meal and i also feel that uh, that sharing the exact impact of 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 their of their negative food choices and telling them that if you consume this this is the impact that it has on this community this is the impact that it has on the soil this is the impact that it has on the ocean and this is the impact that it has on your own personal health that has really made a lot of a lot of difference i feel that people just say that oh you know this will cause climate change so climate change is a very broad term for people so they're just like yeah yeah you know climate change again but if you tell them the exact impact that that choice is going to have for the worse or for the better of the planet that particular ingredient or dish that they're choosing to go with it i feel it kind of stays with them maybe not then but maybe a day later maybe two days later they will it will stay there in their minds that's what i feel yeah i this is this is very um interesting and it feeds into what i wanted to say i i would mention three points i mean one is information i mean getting getting the knowledge out there spreading the word um making consumers know um what what 
how um, how a healthy and environmentally friendly uh, diet uh, looks like, but also getting the information out to to producers, um, to small scale farmers, uh, what kind of options there are for for agroecological production practices. So information and getting uh, the, the word out. Uh, second is of course um, policy. So the the in the policy sphere. Um, regulations in the agriculture and food sector have to be changed in in the direction that greenhouse gas emissions are being reduced, that nitrogen pollution is being reduced, um, either through taxation or through um, through regulation, also like uh, nature protection uh, policies. So the the political um, conditions have to be set. In the right direction, so so that that farmers and consumers have an incentive to move towards uh, um, a planetary health uh, a diet and food production system. And the third aspect is education and focusing at, at children and young people going into schools, going into kindergartens, and and make um, uh, children, young people aware of of the challenges and of the potential solutions. Yeah, so I feel that it's very important for this to be inculcated in children since a very young age. I feel that uh, with my generation, we were not taught anything about climate change or 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 our food choices or nothing. It's something that we are still learning even now. So you know, uh, in it's very interesting that in India we are trying to uh, benefit or help the poor people, but it's very ironical that it's actually the poorest people in India who stay in the rural areas that are actually the most sustainable. So they grow their own food in their own backyard and they eat whatever is in season and whatever they want to pickle, they pickle, whatever they want to preserve, they preserve. And there is no electricity. So there are no fridges. And so they eat fresh and there's no wastage because they end up, they, they cook exactly how much they need because food is so limited. All of our chefs are, are trying to do all of this fancy stuff and we're trying to uh, spread this message of sustainability far and wide. Whereas the poor people in my country, they don't even know what sustainability is. And, but, but they are living it every single day. You've been listening to Sustainability, the Potsdam Dialogues, science for a safe tomorrow. Thank you.